Well, being that services were <clears throat> canceled last Sunday, uh, I do want to wish you a happy new year. Uh, I hope each of you had a, a very merry uh, and blessed holidays, Christmas holidays. And, and even though the, the new year technically started last Saturday, which in my notes I would have written it started yesterday, but now it's last Saturday because I didn't get to preach this sermon last week, uh, I do like something uh, that uh, Pete uh, Baker said a couple of weeks ago when he filled in for me, which I appreciate him uh, doing, and he did a fantastic job. But um, he said lots of good things. But one of the things that he said was <clears throat> that that really the day after Christmas ought to be the start of the new year, because that's the reason Jesus came. Right? I, I completely agree with him that the, the day after Christmas really ought to be the new year, not necessarily when it turns over on our, our calendar, because. That, that's the reason Jesus came, is so that we can experience fresh starts and new beginnings. And my hope and prayer for each of us this year is that we experience a fresh start and a, a new beginning in our hearts and our lives and not just on our calendars. Speaking of, of new beginnings, though, certainly this time of year is <clears throat> when we start to make those those famed New Year's resolutions, right? Or maybe you don't call them resolutions. Maybe you're like the one lady who said, I don't call them New Year's resolutions. I prefer the term casual promises to myself that I'm under no legal obligation to fulfill. Or maybe you're like the one woman who said, I'm so excited for the new year. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have any resolutions to make since I'm already perfect. <laughs> But for the rest of us, especially those who make New Year's resolutions, you can probably sympathize with the guy who said, well, this year my New Year's resolution is to complete the resolutions I set in 2021 that were actually set in 2020, passed down from 2019, originally from 2018, previously set in 2017, that all began in 2016, but truly started in 2015. By the way, when it comes to resolutions, I read that the best way to keep your New Year's resolutions is to aim really, really low. Along those lines, I also read that if you preach a home run sermon on the first Sunday of the year, or in this case, the second Sunday of the year, that's what everyone will expect for the rest of the year. But if you aim low, then you have something to build on. And so here's to aiming low uh, this morning. Speaking of AIM, several years ago there was a fighter pilot doing maneuvers over the California desert. She was flying at a, an incredibly high rate of speed and she pulled on the controls in the direction of what she thought was going to take her in a steep ascent. The only problem was that when she moved, when she we pulled those controls in that direction, instead of going up, she instead flew right, unfortunately, into the ground. <clears throat> investigators later discovered that the problem was that when she went to take that steep ascent, she was flying upside down. In fact, she had been flying upside down for quite some time during the flight without even knowing it. Now, that may seem a little odd to us that a pilot could be flying upside down and not know it, but it can actually happen quicker than you realize. Fighter pilots have spoken about the phenomenon of doing high-speed maneuvers and losing their sense of orientation as to which way was up and which way was down. And if you made the mistake of flying simply by sight, then you were asking for trouble. That's why it's so critical for fighter pilots to fly by instrumentation and not just by sight or by instinct, because you can't always trust your instincts or your sights when you're going that fast. 
And as I think about that, that fighter pilot and what happened to that fighter pilot, I can't help but think about our lives today. We all have a tendency to fly so fast and so hard and do our own share of, of high-speed maneuvers in the course of our lives that before we know it, we can be flying upside down and not even realize it until it's too late. There are times when we, we pull on the stick and we think we know which direction we need to go when it comes to ascending in a particular circumstance or situation in our lives. We think we know which way is the right way to go by our instincts. And so we pull on those controls, but instead of taking us up, we do a nosedive into the ground. We all know what it is to fly upside down every now and then in our lives. And that's why this time of year is such a great time for us to really just slow down and decide that we're going to fly by something other than our instincts, by something other than, than just our sight and what we see with our physical eyes. We're going we're gonna to slow down and get our bearings about us. And we're going to decide on this very, well, the second weekend of the year, uh, what is it that we're going to fly by? What is the standard? What, what is the instrument panel that we're going to look to when it comes to evaluating which way is really up? <coughs> and there's no time like the present for us to do this. And not only does that refer to the present as this present moment, but also to the present as a gift. Because this is truly a gift. Our calendar tells us something that Scripture has been telling us for thousands of of years that with the coming of Christ comes the opportunity for a fresh start and a new beginning. That's why as we begin this new year, we're going to begin a new series entitled The Good Life. The Good Life. And over the next few months, we're going to talk through and walk through what is perhaps Jesus's most well-known sermon, uh, what is called the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. But before we get into the details of that sermon, what I want to do this morning is just really kind of set the stage for us in this series by giving us a context for really appreciating what it is that Jesus is saying. Because the Sermon on the Mount has, has been made to say a, a lot of different things that Jesus, I don't think, really is addressing. And so what I want to do is give us some context as to what Jesus is truly saying here in these three chapters, power-packed chapters in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And this morning I want to talk a little bit about what I mean by the good life, the title of, of the series, this, this good life that Jesus desires to give us uh, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And the first thing I would say is that the good life, as, as Jesus described it, describes it, is an effective life. In other words, it's a, it's a useful life. It, 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 it works, for, for lack of better, better words. And when we talk about the good life, uh, it has to do with, with the quality of life that, that is better than anything else this world has to offer. You know, so much of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount revolves around matters in this life. And I think it's important to realize that, to, to realize that because one of the ways that so many people in our culture are flying upside down today is when it comes to their understanding of, of the relevance of Jesus and, and his teachings and, and the person of Jesus. You know, far too many people in our culture assume that that you know what Jesus is good for and, and what he isn't good for. And they make mistakes, um, costly <laughs> mistakes and conclusions about him. 
far too many people tend to think that all Jesus is good for is primarily what happens after we die, where we go beyond the grave, and that Jesus has come to make it possible for you and me to enter into eternal life and to be saved after we die. It's like some kind of retirement account that we sign up for when we become a Christian, and then we make deposits into it by all our good deeds and through attending church and reading our Bible and all the good stuff that we know we have to check off the checklist, right? And then when we die, we cash in on our investment. Now, in no way am I minimizing the reality of heaven or hell or minimizing the gift of what Jesus has done for us in securing us, our, our salvation for all of eternity. But I also think it's important for us to know that not only does Jesus have everything to do with life on the other side of the grave, but he's also got everything to do with life on this side of the grave. Paul said in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He didn't just bring life, or excuse me, he didn't just bring immortality to light through the gospel. He also brought life to light through that same gospel. Life before the grave. And he sheds light on both life and immortality for all of us who are walking in darkness. Or to put it in another way, he helps us to truly know which way is up in this life and in the next. And the Sermon on the Mount is, is an expression of this. For example, just look at a few of the things that Jesus deals with in the Sermon on the Mount that we'll, that we'll deal with over the course of this sermon. Things like anger and division and lust and integrity and revenge and dealing with our enemies, living for the approval of others, prayer, faith, money, wealth, anxiety, fear, uh, judging others, discerning <clears throat> the character of people. Think about how much of, of the quality of your life involves matters like these. Think about how much of our time and our energy and our resources, how much space in between our ears is taken up with matters like these. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus says this, <coughs> or Matthew says this about Jesus. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. That's what Jesus, that's what his name means. Now, I would hope that each of us understands that Jesus died to save us from our sins. But I would also hope that we realize that Jesus teaches us and speaks to us through teachings like the Sermon on the Mount to save us from our sins as well. It's not that just that he's, he died to save us from our sins, but he came and he lived. Otherwise, he just could have poof, shown up, died, and then, you know, that, that was it. But he also lived and taught to save us from our sins. Every time Jesus opens his mouth, he's trying to save us from our sins. 
There is wisdom coming out of his mouth that's designed to save us from our sins on this side of the grave, to save our lives and to to impact the effectiveness of our lives, to save our time, to save our decision-making. It's not just his death that saves us from our sins, but it's also his teaching and the life he calls us to live that will save us from our sins as well. And here's the question for each of us as we begin this new year Will we let his wisdom and his teachings save us from our sins? Will we let his wisdom and his teachings save the effectiveness of our lives? And even though it sounds strange, the way to begin the Sermon on the Mount is really to look at the end of it. Here's how Jesus ends it in Matthew chapter 7. Verse 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, right, kids? The streams rose. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, just to be clear, when I talk about the effective life that Jesus came to bring, I'm not talking about the the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. You know, when when I talk about the the quality of life that Jesus desires to give us, I'm not not talking about those things and that that kind of teaching that's that's so prevalent, (coughs) prevalent in our day and age. Jesus never promises that the effectiveness of our lives and the quality of our lives will be determined by how wealthy we are, how much money and stuff we have, or by how prosperous we are. Jesus isn't talking about those things, nor am I talking about this as some promise to a storm-free life. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. In Jesus's illustration, both the wise man and the foolish man get rained on, right? They both get hit with storms. What I'm talking about is an effectiveness and a quality of life that stands through the storms and is even revealed through the storms that we face. Because a lot of times the effectiveness and the quality of something is revealed through the wear and tear of it. And according to Jesus, building our lives on his words here is building on a rock. And what we build upon makes all the difference. But here's something else to note. Notice the difference between the wise and the foolish man. It's not that one hears the words of Jesus, (coughs) excuse me, sorry, and the other doesn't. Both hear the words of Jesus. What makes the wise man wise is that he puts the words of Jesus into practice in his life. And what makes the foolish man foolish is that he doesn't. My goal for us in this series is not simply to hear what Jesus is saying. My goal for us in this series is for us to put it into practice in our lives this year, 2022. But not only is the good life an effective life, which I think we all can attest to, it is, it's tough, it's tough. But secondly, it's also an impactful, an impactful life. Not only is it useful and it works, but it also has an impact and an influence on those around it. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says to those following him, You are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus speaks in different difference-making terms when he likens his followers to light because it affects people around it, right? It gives light to the whole house, Jesus says. And that word uh, good in verse 16 is in, re- in refer- or the word good in reference to our good deeds, um, to our life in the Greek. It's an interesting word. It's the word kalos. And uh, literally, it means beautiful, attractive, excellent. Literally, it's something that's so good and beautiful that it inspires and motivates others to want to embrace what is good and beautiful as well. Living out the Sermon on the Mount will actually put you on a mount. It, it can't help but put you on a mount. It'll be countercultural, as you will see throughout this series. You will stand out, but it won't put you on a mount so that you can be praised. It'll put you on a mount so that your Father in heaven can be praised. Now, sometimes I think it's hard for us to truly appreciate Jesus' words about light because in the world of the ancient Middle East before electricity, you know, light was, was a precious commodity, whether it was a candle or sunlight or whatever it may have been. Nowadays, we have electricity and we can just flip the lights on, you know, whenever we want to. We can have light anytime, uh, you know, day or night. And yet, even with that commodity, there are so many people living their lives in our world in darkness. Maybe not physically in darkness, but spiritually in darkness. And our call as Christians is to be a people who live out the wisdom and teachings of Jesus. And as we do, we won't be able to keep from being light unto people who are walking in darkness. It's just going to happen. And so when we talk about the good life, it's not just an effective life. It's also an impactful life. It has an effect on those around us. And then finally, when we talk about the good life, we're also talking about a blessed life. Now, I want you to fully understand what I mean when I say this word blessed, because this word has been used so much in the religious world, not always in the proper context. But it's interesting to me, (coughs) excuse me, that the very first word out of Jesus's mouth in the Sermon on the Mount is the word blessed. And we're going to talk more about that word next week. Hopefully that'll be with me in person with you. But one of the things that word is telling us is that Jesus's heart for us is to bless us. And that's what he desires for us. That's what God desires for us. He comes, Jesus comes to bring a blessedness. And I think we need to remember that. We probably need to plant a flag on that because as we walk through this, Jesus's teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, there are going to be times when his teachings are really, really challenging. And it's almost going to seem like it's a curse instead of a blessing. I mean, there's, there's some really heavy stuff in there, and it may seem like a burden, and we'll need to remember that Jesus' heart is not to curse us. It's not to bring us down. It is to bless our lives. Jesus even says in, in, in Matthew, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's what he desires of us, is to bless us, not to curse us, not to burden us. And that's why he says what he says throughout his teachings, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what I, part of what I want us to appreciate about this word blessed this morning. When we talk about being blessed, 
that's different from saying lucky. That's even different from saying happy. You know, a series we spent most of our time in the months of November and and uh, and December and talking about joy and 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 maybe some of the difference with the differences between happiness and, and and joy. But luck implies happenstance, as if. I, I just happened to come across this good fortune. When, when you say blessed, when, when you say I'm blessed, going all the way back to Jesus's day and even before Jesus's day, when you say those words, one of the things that you're saying is you're referring to the activity of some kind of force, some kind of, of being that has acted on your behalf. You're talking about something or, or someone has, has favored me. So what's the point, you might ask? So the point is, when Jesus says, blessed, one of the things he's saying when he's describing blessedness is here's what happens when God is at work in someone's life. Here's what happens when when God is at work through someone's life. In other words, the good life is only possible when God is involved. Experiencing the good life has more to do with God performing than with you or me performing. And the good life is only possible to the, to the degree that that life is God's life inside of your life. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, that no one is good except God alone. And yet the good news is that this good God has come into the midst of our world. And he longs for each of us to experience his kingdom of goodness. And there will be times in the Sermon on the Mount when we'll be tempted to think that there's no way that this particular teaching of Jesus is possible. There's no way I'm going to be able to live this thing out. And in one sense, you'll be exactly right. You can't live it out by yourself. But don't forget the good news of Jesus Christ. One of the names of Jesus uh, is that of Emmanuel, God with us us. One of the names we celebrate around the Christmas time, right? In the new year, God has come near. And because God has come near into our world, it's possible to live life in a different way. It's possible for us to have an effective life. It's possible for us to have an impactful life. It's possible for us to have a blessed life, but only to the degree that our life is God's life. And so when you see that word blessed, It's not just lucky. It's not even necessarily happy. When you see that word blessed, Jesus is talking about the reality that we tap into when God is at work in us and through us. The good life is an effective life. It's an impactful life and it's a blessed life and it's possible because of Jesus Christ. You know, we live in a world today where there are multiple messages being sent out to us messages about what's important, about what matters, about what's right, what's wrong, what's real, what's true, what's false, what life is really all about, messages about which way is up and which way is down, right? And all the while, Jesus says to us, here's what's important. Here's what matters. Here's what's right and real and true. Here's what life is all about. And so my question for us this morning and really throughout this series is this, which message are you going to believe? Which message are you going to live by this year? My hope is that it'll be the good life that is truly found in Jesus Christ.